Section 25 of Stories Without Tears. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Maria de Fatima da Silva. Stories Without Tears by Barry Payne. The Hero and the Burglar. On the ninth day of the honeymoon, being at the time in the presence of his wife, Mr. Herbert Fail broke a bootlace. And that settled it. From that time forward, onward and upward, through twenty years of happy married life, Mrs. Fail entertained an immutable opinion of her husband's potential ferocity in direct contradiction to the facts. Her sister, who once ventured to suggest that Herbert was not so very terrible, was treated with superiority. You would naturally think so, Clara. That quiet man of Herbert's is very deceptive. You see, you have never seen Herbert when he is roused. I have. I remember one occasion quite early in our married life when the storm broke. This was the occasion when the bootlace also broke. I assure you I shall never, never forget it. Mrs. Fail used Herbert's potential ferocity to overawe her erring servants. This she did with singular persistence, perfect confidence, and no success, whatever. If, she would say to a careless housemaid, Mr. Fail had seen the way the drawing-room was dusted, or rather not dusted this morning. I tremble to think what might have happened. The servants did not tremble. They knew better. Mrs. Fail was away once for a month, and her husband was left in the house. During that month the servants had the time of their lives. Mr. Fail was vaguely conscious that he could never get any hot water, and that there were many horrid irregularities, but the only time it was when dinner was an hour late, he had ventured to inquire why. He was told that the dog had got out. This satisfied Mr. Fail thoroughly, and made him ashamed that he had spoken. The dog got out quite a good deal while Mrs. Fail was away, and so did the servants. And if one of them, not the dog, missed the last train back, then why, as the cook observed, did those railway companies want to go altering their timetables about? The fact is that, in an international competition, Herbert Fail would have been awarded first prize and champion gold cup for sheer meekness. But his wife's belief in her husband's brutally heroic qualities remained unshaken. The high opinion that so many women have of their husbands frequently has no basis in facts, but it is always touching and sometimes useful. Herbert Fayle lived a peaceful life in a quiescent suburb, and the heroic quality that is never required is never missed. But let us do Mr. Fayle justice. He did protest, with all the strength that congenital meekness would allow, against any excessive estimate of his militant character. I'm a good-tempered man, he said, and he was. 
It was only after the incident in which Joshua Bidder was concerned that he gave up the struggle. Joshua Bidder was a burglar and a disgrace to his profession. He knew nothing, he could do nothing, he was intemperate and he had nerves. He was unskillful and unfortunate. He had frequently been in prison and he never had anything to show for it. He was despised by his own fraternity. The only time Bidder ever got anything, said one able and scientific crook, was once when he broke into a place where they had the mumps. If a job of peculiar softness was to be described, it was said that Josh Bidder himself couldn't hardly miss it. Police court missionaries had done their best with Bidder, and so had the Salvation Army, but nobody was more eager to get Joshua to stop it than the old established burglars were. It was not merely that he brought the profession into contempt. His bungling often gave warning and spoiled the chance. Look here, Josh Bidder, said an elderly expert, at the present moment eligible for entertainment at the state's expense. If ever I catches you trying anything, as I've a mind to touch myself, I'll just put your lights out. You turn your attention to sneaking milk cans on a foggy morning. That's all you're fit for. Failure and ignominy having driven him from the metropolis, Mr. Bidder went to the suburbs. Here he hung about and peeped over walls and attract the notice and suspicion of the local police. His face alone was almost enough to justify arrest. Dogs would go two miles out of their way to bite Bidder and do it cheerfully. The most credulous of maidservants at the back door refused to believe his preposterous statement that he was a traveling photographer and unchained the dash hunt. When Joshua Bidder decided that on the night of August the 2nd he would enter and ransack the residence of Herbert Fale, it might have seemed to the careless observer that he had at last struck the line of least resistance. But a judicious burglar would have discovered that the Fales were leaving for their holiday on the following day, and that on the afternoon of August the 2nd, their plate and jewels had been safely deposited in the strong room of the local bank. And the judicious burglar does not crack empty nuts. On the evening of August the 2nd, Joshua was in a position of affluence, which was unusual with him, having that morning succeeded in changing a bad half-crown. This being so, Joshua entered a public house and took a light dinner, consisting of a quart of stout with six penny worth of gin in it. He felt that this gave him heart for the work before him. It cannot be necessary to add that the judicious burglar does not drink when he is on business and does not provide evidence by entering public houses. Briefly, he does very few of the things that Joshua did. At eleven o'clock, he entered the garden of the Fales's residence. Standing with his flat feet on a Jacoby geranium, he surveyed the house 
and came to the conclusion that everybody was in bed and asleep. If he had walked round to the other side of the house, he would have seen that one room on the first floor was still lit up. But Joshua was not a glutton for physical exertion, and he did not walk round. He pushed back the catch of the scullery window, removed his boots, opened the window, and entered. He should not have left his boots in the garden, but the table-knife procedure was quite correct. He struck a silent match and by the light of it made his way into the dining-room. That fatal dining-room! Many a burglar far abler than Joshua has found in the dining-room the graveyard of his reputation. Joshua now switched on the light. He noted with pleasure decanters, a siphon, and glasses. "'Anybody would think they were expecting of me,' he said to himself, as he poured out half a tumbler of whisky and took a comfortable chair. He intended to take just that one drink and to come back for the rest after he had made his collection. But in five minutes he was fast asleep. In his study upstairs, Mr. Herbert Fale had heard nothing of Joshua's entrance. Fale was a tidy man, and he was arranging and putting away his papers preparatory to his departure on the morrow. This being done, he felt thirsty and decided to go down to the dining room for a whiskey and soda. Reprehensible conduct of this kind was very unusual with Mr. Fale. He noticed the light under the dining room door and made a mental memorandum to ask Mary to speak to the servants about their carelessness. Then he opened the door and his heart sank within him. The sleeping Joshua was a horrifying and repulsive blackguard. Herbert Fale decided that his right course would be to close the dining room door as softly as possible so as not to wake the burglar and then to fetch one or more policemen. But at that moment Joshua suddenly awoke, realized Herbert Fale and staggered to his feet. Joshua was not, speaking pedantically, sober but he pulled himself together as well as he could and embarked hurriedly on a story which he believed to be plausible. Sorry, governor, said Joshua. My mistake entirely. I've been dining with a few gentlemen friends. Little girl's birthday. And lost me way home. What I expect is I put the wrong latch key in my pocket and the train took me past my right station. And Joshua stopped short. He had suddenly grasped an important fact that the other man was much more frightened than he was. In two lurches, he put himself between Mr. Fale and the door and changed his manner. Hand over your ticker and your cash, or I'll cut your liver out, said Joshua fiercely, producing his table knife. Mr. Fale retreated, with one hand grasping his watch pocket, and with four pence and a bunch of keys jingling alluringly in his trousers pocket, took up a strong position behind the dining room table and said, Now, steady now, steady now, steady now. 
Really now, steady now. Joshua brandished his knife and overbalanced himself. He clutched at things in general and brought the tray of whiskey and glassware to the ground with himself on the top of it. His uninviting face was cut considerably and the noise was such that it woke the sleeping Pomeranian in its basket on the second floor landing. Yup, 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 said the pom. Its varied excursions had been useful to the servants and now it was rendering splendid service to Mr. Fail himself. The dog is a friend of man. Joshua Bidder, picking himself up from the ruins, heard the dog and recognized the force of its argument. He had been bitten before, and now, in the presence of any dog, his backbone turned to water. He had just time for a little parting sarcasm as he made for the window. So long, old Paul, said Joshua. Sorry I can't stop. Remember me to the missus. He flung up the window and stepped out onto the drive. As he did so, a large black thing jumped out of darkness and collared Joshua by the neck and the left wrist. And the bass voice of the large black policeman said, Here! Where do you think you're coming to? For cop! said Joshua humbly. Inside the dining room, Mr. Herbert Fail heard the comforting voice of the policeman and saw in a flash that pursuit was now deprived of any attendant disadvantages. So he went in pursuit at once, and the way he came through that window with the poker clasped in one hand was perfectly glorious. It's all right, sir, the policeman called as he clicked the handcuffs on Joshua's wrists. It's all right. I've got him here. He flashed his bullseye over Joshua's lacerated visage. My word, sir, but you've given him what for, and no mistake. Bit of a rough and tumble, said Mr. Fail complacently. Lucky for him I got him before you come up with that poker. You'd have a done for him, sir. I've been cruelly mishandled, whined Joshua. If there ain't one law for the rich and another for the poor, he should be made to answer for. Hold your jaw, said the policeman unfeelingly. And then Mrs. Fail and the dog arrived on the scene, the former in a dressing gown and both agitated. Mrs. Fail clung to her husband and the dog clung by its teeth to Joshua. The dog being removed, explanations followed. Mrs. Fail's account of the incident was based partly on the policeman's account. Mr. Fail gave him a sovereign afterwards, and I think the man had earned it and partly on Joshua's account, and partly on feminine intuition. With a view to a possible mitigation of his sentence, Joshua continued to maintain that he had been grievously assaulted. Mrs. Fail could get very little out of her husband, and he shirked questions, but that was quite easy to understand. These brave men are often so modest and reticent about what they have done. Fortunately, said Mrs. Fail to her sister Clara, the Dobson's gardener saw the man as he entered, thought he seemed a very suspicious character, and just mentioned it to the next policeman he met. 
the policeman found the man's boots under the open scullery window and lay in wait for him and if he had not been there herbert would have killed that man killed him would he really said clara the policeman and the burglar both thought so and they knew herbert makes light of it but then that is his way i must tell you he entered the dining room without a suspicion that there was anything wrong and there was that awful man crouching with a knife in his hand ready to spring on him herbert was unarmed and as you know he is not a big man not nearly as big as the burglar was without an instant's hesitation he picked up a heavy decanter and felled the man to the ground with it then there was a most awful struggle between them at last the burglar managed to break away and got through the window herbert snatched up a poker and dashed after him as i say it is a mercy the policeman was there the people who have never seen herbert when he is roused simply do not know him herbert protests mildly that his wife exaggerates but he would sooner wear the halo of the hero than give the exact version of what happened between him and mr bither end of section twenty five